Life is complex, so is our mental health. It cannot be understood by diagnosis alone. Our philosophy is treat the person, not the mental illness. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Humanizing Mental Health. I'm Trenton Akers. And I'm Jeremy Alcorn. Today we're doing another episode of our Synergy series and we are sitting down with the wonderful Holly Turnbull. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Thanks yeah. for having me here today. Well, it's great to have you. And um, you actually spent time uh, with somebody that Jeremy and I greatly admire, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. The, the The minute that she said that she actually sits down with this person and gets their feedback, I I almost fell out of my chair, Aww. which is you know like. Really, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because getting back into your chair is a big deal. Well, yeah, and I was going to say I'm, I'm, I'm actually strapped into my chair. Yeah, yeah, Aww. yeah. So, um, for those, for those of you that have probably listened to our other episodes, you can most likely guess who we're talking about. But I will let Holly say who it is, just for those that don't know. Yeah. So Gabor Mate is the one that uh, that has put together this compassionate inquiry approach, <laughs> and uh, the training that I'm taking currently. It does bring our paths to cross um, mm -hmm. regularly, and I'm really, really thankful for having that opportunity to, to connect with him and all of those within the Compassionate Inquiry um, program. There's, there's a lot of strong individuals with so many strengths. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, yeah. now with like the, you hear the title or Compassionate Inquiry, that can bring a lot of thoughts and images to mind for people probably, but... Um, for Jeremy and I, and for those that are listening, like what is Compassionate Inquiry kind of in a nutshell? Mm. Can you put Compassionate Inquiry in a nutshell? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and funny, because I think we did in the title. Mm -hmm. that, that is to say, the, the, the healing power of compassion. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, and it, that, you know, that approach, it seems to take all of the parts um, that are really effective from very different evidence-based approaches mm -hmm. and combines them into one approach that is not really prescriptive. It's not something that um, we must do this and then this and then this, mm. but it is something that really approaches therapy from a place of curiosity. Mm. And it really looks at uh, the assumption is that the solutions to whatever is um, being a barrier or a struggle for an individual at that moment in time in their life, the answers, the solutions are within that person. I, I don't know. Like when, when you say that, I literally get goosebumps because I'm like, because <laughs> and I think that that's so difficult for um, many of us. Like when, when people come into therapy, they expect the practitioner to heal them. Mm, yeah, and and there is some degree of um, as the uh, compassionate inquiry informed practitioner, I have a responsibility to make sure that I'm holding that space that is a, in a way that is safe um, and supportive, mm -hmm. and, and asking the right questions at the right time, mm -hmm. and not asking questions at the right time, also. Mm -hmm. um, and and so there is some degree of responsibility also on, on my part. Mm. 
but I love that the approach focuses on really empowering the client sure. uh, mm-hmm. to find those answers within themselves. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, what I found when I very first started practicing is uh, an approach that had linked really back uh, in with, with what you're talking about is people would ask me, what, what's your methodology? And I would say person-centered. And they say, yeah, yeah, everybody starts there. But where is, what is it that you use beyond there? I said, no, I believe that this is an, a complete um, intervention and um, and then actually getting in and practicing early in the career led mm-hmm. me to feel like I needed to do more or that I needed some kind of structure. And cognitive behavioral therapy became that structure mm-hmm. only for me later to find Gabor Mate and go, huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you become that skilled clinician again that the skill is not about the techniques that you give to somebody, but that is about the the hand up of showing them how to become a person rather than giving them a technique to deal with the problem yeah and you know um like um sorry did i cut off no you're quite okay well and when i hear that like i think um i really think of like younger practitioners like when you're first starting out you're looking for the technique uh, and sort of that guideline because that gives the practitioner a sense of safety rather than, you know, just going in there and being curious and not knowing what to do. That's sort of a very prescriptive roadmap. And it can be easier for people than to just say, be with the client and help them to discover. Yeah. Having said that, watching Gabor Mate, you see sometimes a very non-directive process but sometimes you actually see him be very directive and point out very specific things oh yeah so so i'm I'm interested in knowing more um given that you've had the formal training Mm. what what does that even look like how 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 does that even come together so that's a great question one of the main um principles or components within compassionate inquiry is knowing um when to interrupt And so that is something during our formal education, I don't know if you heard, but that's not something normally therapists are instructed on Mm -hmm. doing. Um, And so that takes practice at at really fine-tuning and and knowing when it's appropriate. Um, And the idea there is that when we interrupt the client, there's a reason for it. And when individuals come to therapy, you can spend, some individuals spend years uh, in therapy without necessarily making any forward progress. Or not a lot of growth yeah. beyond the moment, beyond um, have someone from the outside regulating them for the hour. Mm-hmm. And then they leave and then they need that person again to regulate them. They have to come back to that person so that they can regulate them again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's fascinating to me when you have that interruption placed in a strategic moment or in, in, a, in a particular way to help focus the individual um, and, and not always from the place of the mind either, right? Um, and so... You mean not all, always from the place of the cognition? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, you, you notice a puzzled look on my face a little bit. Yeah. Um, just be, because um, mind definition is a little different in, from my position. But I, we, we could fall down a rabbit hole. I won't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. The, the, the minute that you, that you said that, I'm like, okay, are we talking about the embodied mind, the shared mind, or yeah. the mind that's connected to the world? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if I can offer just on that, that mm-hmm. that's another, um, there, there's three places of knowing that Gabor talks about. Mm-hmm. And so there's that 
there's the knowing from the mind that of uh, us practitioners all, mm-hmm. you know, in order to register, mm-hmm. we have a certain level of degree in education and mm-hmm. there's a piece of paper on our wall. Sure. You can't just have a piece of paper on your wall to be an effective therapist. No. And so there's also the knowing and the knowledge that comes in the heart. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to connect with your feelings as mm-hmm. a therapist, as an individual. There's also the connection of knowing from your gut. Yeah. So it's, it's just mm-hmm. another way of saying it that um, uh, the interpersonal neurobiology indicates the same thing. That yeah. is like you've got the embodied self that is inside the, the nervous system, brain, heart, guts. Um, you have a connection between people. And you have mm-hmm. a connection to your earth. So it's just like, a, uh, I think, a bit of a different way of coming to the, some of the yeah. same thing. Because yeah. I, I, when someone says, when I say mind, I'm talking about all three of those things. Brain, mm-hmm. gut, heart, mm-hmm. in between people, and my connection to my earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I, like as you're talking, and I've watched um, a little bit of Gabor's stuff, like when he practices. I almost wonder... Um, like if you would look at compassionate inquiry sort of as that middle road as sort of um, like a, an interdisciplinary approach and really how to make it that that tangible for clinicians in the moment when you're working with clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really believe that it is. When I, when I was just beginning my training in compassionate inquiry, I was actually in my master's program as well. Mm-hmm. And so I did them to concurrently. Um, which I don't recommend. That was a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also, uh, that that's part of the reason, actually, I, that I chose to enter the internship program, mm-hmm. and and so I'm repeating the program with another with another cohort. Oh, oh yeah. So this is your second run through. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I'm the, I mean, I would do that just to have more time with Gabor. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like, I'm just, because, uh, you know, like, he, he's, what, what did I tell you? That I heard that he's called the Mick Jagger of mental health. As soon as I heard that. Um, but Can't get no satisfaction? Can't, yeah, can't get no. Well, and, and I think sometimes, you know, like, he just can't get satisfaction with the way that oh. the world is. Or maybe I, I see a red door and I want to paint it black. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but... I'm curious, like with going mm. through the program, the two programs concurrently, how did that impact your perspective on what you were learning within your formal master's training? Mm. Um, I think it created more self-awareness for me. And and so um, at the very beginning of the Compassionate Inquiry training, the very first um, time you go through all the material, it's mm. focused inwards. And so we're learning the approach, but we're applying it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so Gabor talks about healer, heal thyself. And it's truly, he talks about people enter this field for a reason. And Mm -hmm. it's not usually because we have a a history of um, beautiful, sunny roses. It's Well, you show me someone that does. Right. Like uh, that's what I've learned. What I've learned over time, and we talk about trauma um, I, I'm not sure. I, I would almost say that I would like pay someone a million bucks if they could find that person because I don't yeah. think that I don't think that life exists. Well, and, and and I think the thing is, it's also about like yeah, we all go through the world. We all have our experiences, but then too, I think it's about um, figuring out you know how are we going to utilize those experiences, and I think um, therapists especially want to use the trauma that we've experienced as a way to help others. 
Yeah. And, yeah, and for sure. And as you talk about that in application to yourself, we can't do that for others if we can't do that for ourselves. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. yeah. So I found the the learning the the um, approach was um, extremely transformative for myself, mm. and and I felt it was um, it changed how I showed up in the world as a mom, as a wife, as a uh, individual, I, th- I think it changed me fundamentally, mm. and I began to know myself in a much deeper way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, one of the things I want to jump back to, which I think is is curious, and that is uh, in in my own transformation, um, as I uh, first connected with with uh, the writings of Gabor Mate, uh, it was Scattered Minds. But then I went through all of the, his other books, and one of the things that I found interesting was that there wasn't a prescription. There wasn't a statement around do A, B, C, and D. There's some structure that was given in each book around here's some things that you can build from. Mm. As you get, but the majority of the book is actually about transforming your philosophy. Every single one mm. of them. Transform your philosophy about how you understand how things work because that philosophy then can open up an ability to heal that you don't necessarily have now. And, uh, and for a lot of, uh, of people, I think that um, there's some difficulty because people want steps. Um, but there isn't, what I found is there is nothing out there that can give you um, do A, B, C, and D, and you will get this result. There, I, I have yet to find well, well, anything yeah. out there that can do that. Well, uh, you know, yeah. the, the minute that I say that, that you say that, it almost comes down like when he's giving you the philosophy, he's allowing that knowledge to then be integrated into you because each individual is unique. You can't just, we're, we're not all cars in a factory you know like mm. where you're you're building a model t and you know it's like oh well <laughs> you just you replace this one sprocket and your vehicle will run perfectly yeah yeah for sure so uh, and and as i end this point that i'm making um it it was actually uh medical doctor so md mm. gabor mate that showed me that the western medical model is flawed mm-hmm Mm, right. And and he talks about that also and how the only reason he has the platform he has to speak before rooms full of health professionals and um, mental health therapists is because he has those two initials behind his name. And, and we grant him this platform mm-hmm. because he comes from a place of knowing from the mind. Right. He's got that certificate on his mm-hmm. wall so we can we can honor that he at least comes from an educated place. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the ways of knowing, that's only one third, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah. so he acknowledges that he brings to the table this yeah. degree that gives him the platform that, that allows so many to listen to him. Right. But in fact, there are so many others who also hold that deep level of knowledge from their gut, from their heart, and not to discredit those. Right. Mm. In fact, he first anchored me because I knew this is somebody that had that knowledge from the, that, that, that cognitive place and, and, and the recognition by having a medical degree. But where he truly then hooked me after that is because he's a Holocaust survivor. Mm, That's right. How can, how can you 
not come from a place of recognizing that this person mm. um, at their foundation knows what trauma is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he was al- almost literally born into trauma. Yes, of, he was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Born into a disconnection that other people don't, wouldn't experience because of the uniqueness of the environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I don't know um, if, if you've seen this, but as I've, I always found it fascinating that he almost works on himself whenever he's doing any sort of presentation. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, if you go back to the earlier ones and then you watch them all the way through, he's not only sharing knowledge with you, but then he's also showing his own personal growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's another, that's another part of Compassion Inquiry I love so dearly. Um, we are expected to show up in that space as our true authentic self. And so when we arrive in a session with a client, um, we're expected also to know what's, what's happening in me as I'm hearing this story. What does, how does that land in me? And that, that allows a level of connection that is necessary mm. for the uh, traumatic growth, mm. I think. Yeah. Now, the one thing that I, um, that I, I wonder about, because uh, I've come from, um, uh, th- this has been much of, of what you're talking about, has been integrated into my practice because of just simply all of the um, informal processes of, of his writings and uh, all of his teachings and so forth. Um, most of the time it's received well. I cry every single day. Mm-hmm. And I tell people as that happens, I tell them, I feel this powerfully. And so I'm not going to suppress it. I'm going to let it go. And, and hopefully you understand that I'm fine. Um, mm-hmm. That actually, this is what you're supposed to do with your feelings. That's mm-hmm. why I'm doing it. Um, and, uh, but not everyone has that resonated with. Um, there's, there's one individual in particular that sent me a very nasty email that um, had detailed how I kind of stole their story or something. And it, it, it's sad. Hmm. It's sad because that wasn't what I w- had intended to do. And I will, uh, even on air, actually apologize. Because what it was really about is just that we weren't um, attuned. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand uh, what I was doing for them. And they wanted something different. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I almost wonder too, um, like based off of that, like what is the public's perception of what a therapist should be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that a beautiful question? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. when, you, when you talk about what should a therapist be, and I don't know if anybody's seen the show Shrinkage, but it's a very funny show on, I don't remember, Netflix or Crave or something or, like or that. Is it shrinking? I think shrinking. that's... Shrinking. Yes, yeah. there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Apple TV Plus, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. I got the wrong name. Okay. Yeah. Yep. But it's, that's funny. It, he steps wildly outside of the regular boundaries of what is considered appropriate for therapists in this show. And I think it's it's meant to step outside of um what is acceptable but when you think about what what the expectations are in that room and you think about how sacred that space can be mm-hmm. it's very uncommon today to find a room find a space where you genuinely connect mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. individuals on a very basic 
authentic level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. And Ner- yeah. Nervous system to nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, so one of the things that every time you, you speak something, you know, resonates and, and I want to comment. And one of the things I want to do is I want to get out of your way a little bit in this conversation because I think <laughs> there's some pieces about this that um that you haven't had an, an ability to articulate that just comes from your position well what is it that you would like to share that is about this modality that is about how it works about um what people would anticipate as they come into therapy hmm. what do i want people to know mm-hmm. about compassion inquiry so every session begins with um an intention and so that can be anything from there's this specific block that I've got and I want to address this or this is happening in my life and I want to look at that using compassionate inquiry or mm. it can also just be this, I've got this lump in my throat. I don't know why it's there, but it won't go away. Or, um, you know, I'm just, I'm stuck in this place where I keep finding myself in these circumstances and I keep repeating this behavior but it's a specific intention and we get very clear about what that is and what that intention is and from there it's a somatic based approach Mm -hmm. and so can you define somatic for our listeners yeah so really connecting with what sensations what physical sensations we notice in the body and so everything from the feet the legs, the sit bones, the gut, the back, the chest, our shoulders, our neck, um, our mind, and our hands. You know, every part of our body then becomes um, a piece of what arrives in the moment. And beginning to cultivate that awareness, what's happening in me here, even as we're talking about this, oh man, my, my chest is tightening up, or I notice that my neck is really sore or I notice sometimes there's tears flowing and we don't even notice that they're arriving. Mm -hmm. And so just bringing that awareness to what the body is trying to say. And a lot of that um, comes then from healing what the body is bringing up in the moment. And it is on a cellular level. Sometimes it's carried on our mitochondrial DNA. It's not even from experiences that we have had in this world. It might be coming from maybe our grandfathers or their grandfathers. Yeah, intergenerational trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The genetics. Yeah. Right. And if we think about the experiences that are great, uh, great, 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 seven generations before us and, and the experiences that they had, my seventh great grandfather uh, was leaving um, Scotland at the time of the Culloden battle. He was five years old. And, and so when you think about, wow, as a five-year-old, what that experience must have been like, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. recognizing how that might show up in, in my DNA, sure. right? Sure. And it doesn't become uh, something, as you're talking about this, it's really predictable. We can't say for certain, this is what is exactly influencing me. That's not the point. No. The point is to be curious about it. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm curious, Holly. Like as you bring that up, have you or has anyone ever actually worked with a client where they've gone back into their genealogy and really looked at the family history, not just of trauma, but just in general, and then how that informs them? Mm-hmm. And so intergenerational trauma is something that very frequently will come up in in the compassionate inquiry, and and it's not um, not so often something very formal where we will. Um, 
you know, when this person was born on this date and they passed on this mm. date. And, you know, it, it's not usually very formal, but it is a, a recognition of, oh, yeah, this was my, this is how my mom or grandparent showed up in the world. And actually looking back, that kind of makes sense because mm -hmm. this was their experience during their childhood. Or sometimes it will come up just in the way of um, looking at how, mm, how different experiences from our uh, ancestors might be showing up in us sure, today. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and, and I think where one of the things that becomes fascinating with me about this is it, it, it really removes the position of any kind of blame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, like, I'm not saying I am this way because my grandpa was some jerk and blah, 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 <laughs> you know, and right. didn't take care of his son well. And so my jerk grandpa messed me up. Right. You know, that's actually not what it's about at all, but more about what does this mean for me, hmm. who I am, and how am I going to work with this within my world? How am I going to find my way with what has been handed to me? Because as Kenny Rogers says, every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. <laughs> and, uh, and if you don't know what your hand is, right. you don't know how to play it. Yeah, it's, it's so funny that you bring that up. Because I believe, actually, uh, The Gambler is one of uh, Gabor Mate's favorite songs. Yeah, he talks a lot about yeah. the music lover, oh, actually. Uh, yeah, like, like, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, yeah, like that that's just irony. I had no idea. Yeah, because um, in, in the video series that I'm watching with him, he actually brings up the song The Gambler and actually goes through and talks about how that knowledge can actually inform our mental health. Mm. Wow. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, no, uh, like side note. So for some time, I've been saying the words, um, diagnosis are not a biological truth. Right. This is a particular way in which they're being framed. We've got to get away from thinking that this is a biological truth. It's not a biological truth in terms of mental health diagnosis. Right. Um, and people did it, a lot of um, people within the mental health world did not like to hear me say that. Um, but then the most recent Gabor Maté book comes out. And I was like, see, not a biological. You almost use the exact same words. Right. You almost want to yeah. go like a cinnamon. Thank you for getting these people off my back. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and also, you know, Trent is like, you know, I got to this part in this book. Hmm. You've been saying this for a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because you know, like I'll go through, I'll watch his videos or I'll read his books, and I'm like, I feel like I'm just sitting here with German. Yeah, and the question is, like, yeah. um, did did actually I hear that from him, or is it just actually that we lined up so well in our way of knowing that uh, that no, this this is just a common idea, a common place that we've come to. I really want to meet this man at some point in time. I would like to look him in the eye. Yeah. To tell him, you've never met me, but you changed my life. Hmm. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I could really see how powerful that could be for you. I wonder, because for him, because I've noticed, like, whenever there are people will come up on stage with him, like, it's, I think it's, um, like, he impacts so many of us, but he has that sort of pull where he doesn't want to be venerated and held up almost yeah almost as i'm listening to this i'm i'm there's a part in me that knows if gabber were listening right now he would want us to stop because he, he doesn't want to be held up on this pedestal mm -hmm. and um i i hear that 
in his teachings and from his from his conversations with mm-hmm. with us yeah for sure but but i can i can line up with that too yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and i i can see in your eyes how how deeply impactful that mm-hmm. he has also been for you mm-hmm. and just just i want to honor and recognize how how much transformation can truly unfold um when we begin to understand that that power is within us mm-hmm. we're not defined by a yes. textbook we're yes. not actually defined by yeah. any biological um, Western-type medical approach. Mm-hmm. The power is within us mm-hmm. to move forward in any, dire- any direction we, we choose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, yeah. In fact, I, I, I line up with that, what you're saying too, about not wanting to be held up. One of the most uncomfortable things happened where I came out of uh, my office and there was someone sitting there and they said, Hey, are you Jeremy? I said, yes. And they, they said, my son is so-and-so. And, um, uh, of course, I didn't even acknowledge that I'd seen the person, but they just said, I want you to, to know how much difference you made in their life. Mm. And I want you to know how they're doing now. And they told me these things, and it was so meaningful. But mm. at the same time, for, for, for me, I, I, uh, I just I feel like, but I can't be this forever. And I can't be this for everybody. And this world is a messed up, terrible place. And maybe I can't be that person for the next person. And I don't want that pressure. Mm. Yeah. You know, and then uh, like as you talk, I can, I can just feel the responsibility weighing on your shoulders. But I'm curious about like, oh, where did that message come from that you need to be that or that you felt like there is that level of responsibility? When did you um, find out or get that? placed on your shoulders yeah exactly in fact reference back to the humans behind the mic mm-hmm. and you'll get the answer oh yeah, yeah. Good, good, good point. <laughs> in fact i really want to say that because <laughs> i would like our listeners that haven't heard some of these other things to reference back to that yeah. because i think it really it really does mm-hmm. there's a there's a whole episode that will connect oh, them into yeah, that yeah and, <laughs> and as soon as you, as soon as you say that I've, then i cued back to the the episode in my head yeah right. yeah yeah mm-hmm and 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 recognizing um when those younger parts arrive today mm-hmm. witnessing them and really welcoming them into this space they arrive for a reason mm-hmm. and what are they trying to tell us what do they need in this moment mm-hmm. right and and they may be arriving today you may continue to feel that weight of the world on your shoulders mm-hmm. What does little Jeremy need to hear? Yeah, yeah. In fact, a mm-hmm. uh, quick story, because uh, it's not really, ex- well, it is. That whole compassionate process is what this is all about. Um, we, we were doing a training together, mm-hmm. and someone was leading us through a meditation, and it was to bring you back into something in childhood. And there I was, back as this five-year-old kid in this trauma memory, and I was, I was angry in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, big me was angry. My myself now is like, why am I here again? I've I've dealt with this in my own therapy. And and then something shifted. Hmm. And it went, wait a minute, that little five year old kid, he dealt with that all by himself. You gonna you gonna leave him now? Hmm. You you gonna leave him to deal with that alone. Yeah. And went, no it doesn't matter how many times I have to come back. Mm-hmm. I won't let that little boy deal with that alone again. Yeah. So absolutely. And that compassion then bringing about a letting go of anger and acceptance that this is who I am and mm. it's okay. Yeah. yeah. This is part of me and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. So I might as well give that little boy a hug. 
Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And he never has to be alone with it again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I am now bigger and stronger and wiser. And I need to be kind. Mm -hmm. So. You know, it was so funny that, that, that you say that because um, I was actually getting my wheelchair worked on the other day. And we, with the wheelchair tech, I ended up talking about bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. And the minute that I said that, I couldn't help but think, Jeremy's in the room now. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's what happens. They go to fix my chair and I'm giving them, you know, pearls of wisdom from Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So uh, and, and another thing that I think kind of pulls some of this together, because um, you're coming into or have not coming into, you have come into uh, this process of becoming a psychologist mm -hmm. um, at this point in your life. And you've had a whole other process before that of mm -hmm. things that you were engaged with. And uh, and so I'm, I'm rather curious mm -hmm. about what it was that led you into that place in which it was time for you to be able to to become uh, uh, someone that is going to be transformative for other people. Yeah. Mm. Well, let me to hear. Goodness. Okay. So, um, you know, my my background, my experiences have been a bit all over the map. <laughs> um, I grew up on a grain farm in southern Manitoba. Okay. And so... Like around Winnipeg? Uh, south of Winnipeg, about three-hour drive from mm, there. Gotcha. Actually, um, right beside um, Ninette, Manitoba, Killarney area. No, no. So while it's actually mostly um, east of us, that part of the world is like the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, right. it's like how, 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 what do you got for, for seasons? Yeah. Okay, well, we got winter, obviously. <laughs> we got spring, and we got bugs. There, okay. there are. That's uh, right. Yeah, Those are the three seasons. Uh, yeah, Back to it. winter again. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> well, welcome to the Great White North, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, in, yeah. In, anyway, so you were, you were in that area in Manitoba. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say my experiences growing up in a small town uh, or just outside of a small town, rural Manitoba, um, instilled in me a lot of value in um, showing up in a way that, that I really connect with people that really meant a lot to me. Um, and my experiences within family, um, again, we don't enter this field because we have a bright, shiny roses history, right? But my experiences at home uh, were such that I needed to grow up really quickly. And, and a lot of my memories from early years were me trying to show up in the room as a grown-up. And I was in a child's body. And that didn't align. It didn't, it didn't make sense. And you brought so, the kindness, but you, you didn't have the bigger, stronger that mm -hmm. needed to come with the kindness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, or, or the, the, the amount of life experience that would give the wisdom that is needed with that sure yeah and and I think part of it too um so I lost my father at an early age he was only 12 years old when he passed and so um you mean you, you were, were 12 years old when I, he passed. I was only 12 right? yeah because yeah. I was thinking wow <laughs> your dad was 12 how old was <laughs> he when you were born sense. right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, but that all fit together then immediately <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah 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 so he wasn't 12 you were 12 I yeah. was 12 mm -hmm. Um, that I remember that time in my life, I, I thought, and my mind automatically went to, well, this just means I'm going to need to take over the farm. 
And I'm going to need to uh, move out there and, and figure out, you know, the school bus will still pick me up every day to get me to school, which is like an hour long school bus drive. As a 12 year old, that made sense in my head that you cannot, um, you can't farm at 12. I'm, I'm here to share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking that yeah. way, that would be a bit risky, but yeah. I don't, but yeah. I, I'm, mm-hmm. As I hear that, to it it almost may i can almost imagine you as that 12 year old having that level of responsibility that you're like no i gotta take this on because this is for the family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's the right thing to do somebody mm-hmm. needed to look after the house and the land and um there needed to be a caretaker and so well i've got time i'm a human i've got two legs i could do that for sure and that kind of you can see that playing out um Often, I think, and in my experiences, once you hear more of the roles that I began to fill, it was um, I shifted into a peer counselor role through high school, Mm. and I really wanted to show up in a way where I was helping, I was supporting, and Mm -hmm. what do you need? Okay, I'll help with that. What do you need? Okay, I'll help with that. And and part of that also was then um, I joined the military Mm -hmm. as a as a single mom, and so part of that process was. Um, really learning the regimental culture. I knew nothing about mm. the military, rank structure, any of that, and I joined the artillery. And so... <laughs> Blowing stuff up. Right, mm. yeah. What are we going to do? We're going to go <laughs> blow some stuff up. That's what we're going to do. Mm. What does our average yeah. day look like? What do duties look like? Well, we're going to go practice blowing stuff up so that when we need to blow stuff up for real, we know what we're doing. Right, mm. that's right. And and they when they offered me um, a role that in it was in Brandon, Manitoba. So the recruiter and, and you you came in as an officer. I did. Yes. Yeah. So you already had um, context for people. In other words, you already had university behind you. Some university, mm-hmm. but I was still completing my undergraduate yeah. degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know what officer meant. Mm. <laughs> also, when I when I enrolled, um, but. I did know that um, they were offering me the role of either artillery, cook, or clerk. And I thought, well, if I'm going to join the army, why would I do something I could do civilian side? I guess I might as well, let's, what's artillery? What is yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, what? Like, like, if I could just let's do that do in that. the civilian world, why? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, a, a, a lot of people join in because they want the big boom, boom that they could yeah. do. And then they go, oh, wait a minute. When I'm done this, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? <laughs> yeah. There ain't nowhere that needs anybody to blow stuff up. <laughs> so, yeah. well, anyway. uh, all, all I can imagine is, mm-hmm. boy, um, your day started with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so then you move into being an officer and as yeah. a, were you reg force? Regular mm-hmm. force? Never yeah. regular force, always mm-hmm. a reservist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did find in that role, I had a lot of opportunities to help. Mm-hmm. And so what needs to be done here? A lot of the officer role is um, administrative. Mm-hmm. And so, well, that's something I can do for sure. Let me figure that out. Um, but a big part of it also was building that sense of family. When we talk about um, the regimental family. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I have heard this story many times. Mm, I, yeah. In the military, I found the family that I didn't have before. Right. hmm and I think that was a big draw for me. Attachment. Uh, my my coworkers truly became like family. Mm. In fact, I'm tingling just hearing yeah. your story. And yeah. I'm wondering, how old were you when you entered the military? Mm, how old was I? 23. Okay. 23. Mm-hmm. And I was a single mom, so um, 
my kiddo would have been just over two years old, mm -hmm. two or three. Mm -hmm. And and so the family, the regimental family, mm -hmm. they ended up uh, witnessing and helping me raise my kid, kids. And mm -hmm. actually, so during that time, I had another child. Mm -hmm. um, and as a reservist, I didn't work full time. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't eligible for parental leave or mm -hmm. maternity benefits. Mm -hmm. and um, And actually, so my second daughter... She was three days old, and she came to work with me, hmm. and I nursed her in my office. Mm. Wow. Which is, when you think about it, pretty spectacular from mm -hmm. an employer support sure. standpoint. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, like, I'm just, like, as I'm hearing that, like, you know, people um, are, there may be this perception of the military where it's, like, they go out and they do things, but they really... Um, like I'm hearing for you, from you is that it was sort of that sense of safety and security that, that allowed you to raise your children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so they supported me in raising my family and, and became family also. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I was able to support the other individuals within the regiment with um, at their career aspirations and, and do mm -hmm. fill my role as an officer to, to help facilitate that, whatever that looked like for mm -hmm. them. And um, I, I can also hear there too is that you had that, that need to be needed or that was filled too. Sure, as well. mm -hmm. but, it, but it also put you into the leadership that you anticipated when you were 12. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But now at the age you were, you actually were bigger and stronger and wiser and it was actually a fulfillment of something that you could do. Right. Mm -hmm. And you could show up for them in the way that they needed. So long as I held enough humility. Sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And, 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 and it's an interesting uh, process that you describe because, you know, one of the top predictors of post-traumatic stress for military members is actually, do I have top cover? And, mm. and so being in that place in which you, you wore the top cover... You were looking out for those troops. Mm -hmm. okay. Right. Yeah, I, I was almost going to ask you to define top cover there, but I think basically you did. So that's ba if I'm understanding it correctly, that's sort of like having your officers and those other people. The people that are above me. Yeah. yeah Do they, they have my back? Okay. Mm -hmm. mm, the, um, oh, what do we call it? Systemic oppression. And the um, impact that that can have on individuals. When we talk about um, veterans walking away with um, wounds from their service, so often it's not. We're talking. We're not talking about battlefield events. Necessarily, you're right. Right. We're talking mm -hmm. about the individuals yep. who should have acted, who never did. Mm -hmm. Or we're talking about. Um, not having that top cover, mm -hmm. like you, like you said, and and just um, I want to recognize how how critically important that is, not just within a military yeah. or it's or just more obvious in the military, right? But that that is the case across um, the institutions that we connect with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so I don't know. That's really uh, compassion inquiry focused, but I feel like that's a big part of what drew me to the work, also because mm -hmm. it really applies. I mean, if we're talking about individuals in a space in their life where they're not getting the supports necessary to really thrive, mm -hmm. um, how, to, how do we take a step back? How do we open the doors necessary for this individual so they're not feeling any systemic oppression and, and we really 
dismantle it. Sure. Like even bringing that back to recent events in which you asked a question about um, uh, people being set up to bill for individuals that have uh, disability coverage in Alberta. Mm. It's like actually it's not a benefit for them. Um, and it's one of those things that is exactly what you're, what you're referring to. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. As a yeah. new practitioner, I'm, I'm still figuring out how to navigate all the insurance mm-hmm. policies, yeah. right? Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, but it totally fits like um, what you're talking about, especially your mindset in going, okay, well, these are individuals that have this particular insurance and it's for disability. So then um, why, why wouldn't they have mental health coverage? It, yeah. just, it just comes from that place of being in a non, non-oppressive practice, right? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think really uh, by by you going in there with your uh, not knowing and pointing and pointing that out, I think sometimes for those for those of us that may know a system, you know that just may be you know a given, but you're potentially pointing out a barrier or a gap mm-hmm. that yeah. we're just used to yeah. dealing with. Sure. So uh, kind of lining back up with your story, then you're going through this. You become an officer. You come to that place in which you actually get to fulfill. Um, what that 12 year old, you know, wanted to do all those years ago. And then, and then where does that step in to you become a, a psychologist? How on earth did I land here? Right. Okay. So I ended up, there was a boy. Um, <laughs> so a boy. There was a boy. It's always um, about a boy. Right. Unless it's Mary Jane. And then, <laughs> then that is, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. True. Yeah. Um, if you're Spider-Man, then it's about a girl. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, and and so at the time, uh, he lived in Alberta, and I lived in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And so um, we got to this place in our relationship where um, we wanted to live in the same city. The mm-hmm. long distance was no longer working. And mm-hmm. so as well, how about we each apply for jobs in each other's city, and whomever gets a job first um, will move. And so I ended up getting hired on with the federal government oh. as a labor standards uh, a labor affairs officer with human resources skills and development Canada, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know what it was. You're just really good at inter- interviewing. I apparently so. yeah. I, I still didn't know what the job was during the interview. Mm-hmm. And I had to ask like, yeah. what am I going to be doing exactly? Mm-hmm. What is this? Um, and it ended up being occupational health and safety. And so my role was entering into any workplace under federal jurisdiction, so banks, airports, um, inter- uh, interprovincial trucking companies, um, and different federally regulated uh, workplaces, and enforcing uh, federal occupational health and safety legislation, mm-hmm. keeping everyone safe. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that sounds, actually, I'd be great at that. Yeah, let's, let, yeah. That sounds like a role that I would be wonderfully suited to. <laughs> yeah, yeah everything, everything was just kind of lining up. Right. Um, and then uh, through that process, I got a lot of training um, with the feds, and I, and I transferred over to the province um, and worked with them for several years as well. Um, and, and through that process, in 2018, we shifted our legislation in, in Alberta to include psychological health and safety in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And so I was part of that initiative and I witnessed how critically important and if we are not supporting the mental health of our people, um, that impacts every other aspect of safety, right? And so when we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. right, we have this very basic need for uh, food, shelter, water, those very basic needs. 
if mental health is not included in that and, and having a mentally safe space to operate in, no matter what our job is, it, um, it's like a domino effect. For sure. Mm-hmm. Like, like you can't let a pilot fly a plane right. if they're distressed. You mm-hmm. can't let uh, the, the number of people that injuries accelerate immensely when mm-hmm. someone is not settled because their situational awareness goes out the window, their concentration goes out the window on focus. Next thing you know, there's injuries that you would never have anticipated in a workplace that seems like the workplace would be a safe workplace, like physically. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I was really passionate about helping to build these safe spaces and excited at the possibility of integrating this mental health aspect into work. How can we as teams, organizations, institutions, how can we really cultivate that uh, compassionate space necessary for individuals to show up in a way that they feel safe and they can really thrive? Mm-hmm. And I mean, as you say that, I, I, I can hear the just the excitement and the fervor in your voice. Uh, but I'm I'm wondering how receptive were those systems to uh, looking at the mental health and wellness of the people that they're um, serving or, or that that is a part of the system, I should say. I think that I think that there's a topical want. I think we all want to build um, a better future for our children. Mm-hmm. I think that's in all of us. I don't know that all of us, um, all institutions, really trust that we can get there. I think there's a there's an exhaustion that yeah. goes with when we talk about introducing mental health into a workplace responsibility. Mm. And I think a lot of supervisors hear that and they're like, oh. It means I can't do my job. There's one more thing. Like, yeah, like yeah, they're, they're yeah. like, a, I'm going to have to handle everyone with kid gloves. And now there's all sorts of reasons why people can complain more or whatever um, becomes part of the response. Yeah. It doesn't need to be that way. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's all about how are we framing mental health mm-hmm. right and and how much time is actually necessary to dedicate towards cultivating a healthy culture right mm-hmm. when we talk about um what's really necessary what do i actually need as an individual to show up in the workplace and, mm-hmm. and feel safe mm-hmm. i need to feel like i belong i mm-hmm. need to feel like i'm uh you know, I'm able to speak up. I'm able to be my authentic self. Sure. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like actually that platform is what then at some point in time, I'm guessing that graduate studies became part of the vision. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and when what you were doing then lined up so well with the graduate studies that, that you ended up doing, I I don't know, am I, am I off on in left field? Right. And so my undergrad degree was actually in zoology. And so I was trying to endeavor. (laughs) Hey, no wonder you went working with the military. That worked so well. (laughs) It's like, okay, I got some zoology. Where is this going to function? The military. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. All I'm imagining is like from that, I can see the links because like when you're studying animals and you're looking at their environment hierarchies and and everything Mm -hmm. of that nature and how do these things impact? You you went from studying um, zoological animals to now working with the human animal. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so my zoology degree was a pre-med degree Mm. and the intention was to go into medicine. Mm -hmm. But once I completed my degree as a single mom of 
two children. Mm. I no longer had the time or finances to go mm-hmm. down that route. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I shifted into the realm of occupational health and safety. And after over a decade of doing that work and really feeling that pull to psychological health and safety mm-hmm. and seeing the power of really supporting and fostering that mm-hmm. in the workplace, how much that can change a culture mm-hmm. and individuals, mm-hmm. that is when, uh, and part of also part of my own healing journey, I wanted to get the piece of paper on the wall mm-hmm. so I could do the work sure. that I knew our community needed. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I, pr- I sought the master's degree and, and I got that through Yorkville. So I was able to do it online and, mm-hmm. and that was really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also part of that, part of that process became, if I'm going to offer this, uh, to our community, I want to make sure I'm doing it in a way that is, I want to, I want to offer the best. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's where Gabor Mate comes in. That's where comes in. Wow. <laughs> 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 Makes sense to me. I know. No, no, me too. It's, like, it's kind of, yeah. All the puzzle pieces. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Yeah, Totally. It's a, it's interesting though to know, um, and I mean, I, I'm still on my own personal journey and I, and I don't know that that will ever stop for me, mm-hmm. but I also, I think it's interesting to, um, begin to recognize the parts in us that show up mm-hmm. regularly and to know how to nurture that part yeah. so that we could show up in the spaces that we are in, that we live in, in ways that we're our true authentic self. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what changes the world. That's what builds a better future. Yeah. In fact, I think we want to wrap up with that Mm -hmm. statement, right? That, that pulls everything together. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing not only your knowledge about Gabor Mate and the experiences that you've had, but sharing that part of yourself and reiterating to us and to our listeners about being truly authentic Mm -hmm. and how compassion brings healing to ourselves and to our world. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks yeah. so much for having me. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Um, and on that note, I'm Trent Nakers. And I'm Jeremy Alcorn. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message has been as meaningful to you as it has been to us. If you're looking for help, you can find us on Facebook at Humanizing Mental Health.